the world cannot afford for you to be miserable and neither can you. We have to get really creative and the imagination needs to be activated. Be like, okay, I don't know how I'm going to change this, but I am going to. One way or another, I'm going to remain open. We have to really be aware of dissonance and not fully accept it unless we want to stay exactly as we are and where we are. Hi, I'm Kendall Brown, and you're listening to Still Small, a podcast exploring how to listen to your inner still small voice instead of staying still small within society's default rules. Today, I'm talking to Sarah Kaiser, one of my favorite people to talk to. She always helps me question my limiting beliefs and challenge the status quo. She is a yoga teacher, singer, designer of meditation programs, and she explores a variety of acrobatic disciplines, and she founded her own aerial arts studio. She lives in the Eastern Sierras in California, And I'm very excited for you to hear our conversation. Thanks for being here. I'm excited to talk to you. Hi, Kendall. Thank you for having me. You're in Bishop, California. I am. And how long have you lived there? Close to six years, which feels hard to believe. Feels it hasn't been that long, but here we are. So six years means you moved there in 2017? I moved here, yeah. New Year's Eve, 2017. Do you do any rituals on New Year's? Is that a big thing for you because it's a time that you move to somewhere significant or is New Year's not a big deal to you? No, I should. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not a big New Year's person um, either. Yeah, I'm getting more into less the traditional goal setting of New Year's Eve and resolutions and more of intentionality of how do I want to feel and how do I want this to look? It's harder to write on a bulleted list because it's not lose 10 pounds or the traditional things, but I'm getting more into aligning with the seasons. I do really feel the, the transitional energy of a new year and how much it can support us in identifying ways we want to change. So I, I have been leaning into that more and just taking it as another opportunity to to reevaluate everything. And the fact that it's tied to when you moved is also extra Mm -hmm. reminding in your brain of, oh, this is a special time. This is each year that I reset and add to this special place that I moved to. Right. And I never actually really thought about it, but that was one of the biggest risks or leaps I took in my life to move here. And that's very symbolic for it to be happening right at the turn of a year. Yeah. Will you share about how you made the decision to move to Bishop and the headspace that you were in? So I was living in Santa Cruz and I had a conservation job and it was a pretty cool job, but a lot of things in my life were changing. I had ended a relationship in the middle of the year and a three-year relationship. And I was, I guess, on that note of reevaluation, noticing that my job was feeling more and more administrative and less Mm. of the writing, being a writer, which is more why I went into that work in the first place. And so there was just a lot of reconsideration in my life at that time. And a friend visited me who lived in Bishop and she told me about her life. She's like, I work in a coffee shop and I climb and it's really awesome. And I thought that sounds so completely romantic. And I, that really planted a seed for me. So I decided I would go visit her and experience this place. And I mean, the entire drive over the Sierra, I found myself as I was going over the mountain pass, just sobbing. I don't know if it was that the beauty or the knowledge that my life was about to change so profoundly. And there was so much that was dissonant in my life that hadn't been fully acknowledged that was now coming through. So even the journey to Bishop in the first place triggered something. And then being in the space and with the mountains and in this different pace, because Santa Cruz isn't a huge city, but Bishop is a lot smaller. And then I went home, back home. I did a couple more visits to Bishop. I just kept feeling the call. And then it just naturally happened. I transitioned my job to part-time and remote and moved to this mountain town. Oh, I just love that story. I mean, just 
noting that you transitioned to part-time and remote before those were trendy things to do. This was at the end of 2017. So that's really cool. But what I hear in that story is so much trusting of your intuition, really being tuned into what's going on and not needing to define it when you're sobbing Mm -hmm. on the drive. You don't need to pin it back to one thing, just recognizing that your body has a pull and following it, which is so admirable. Well, that's really insightful because I hadn't thought of it that way, but that's something that happens in my life a lot where I'm crying and I don't get to know why. And, and that's, that's super important for people to hear and, and mm-hmm. know that you don't have to figure it out completely, but something is happening and it's really important. And so at least follow the intuition. And maybe I need to go to this place. I need to go to Bishop again. I, I Something happened while I was there. I need to go back. I don't know what it was allows the transformation to continue and not get stuck, stuck or Mm -hmm. stopped. Yeah. The reason I am so inspired by everything that you do, well, a multitude of reasons, but you're really unique in that and recognizing and following that. And it's hard to do. And it's a skill that you develop. You don't just wake up one day, just fully aligned. Mm -hmm. And I really feel that I need to pinpoint when I'm crying, even in therapy, I'm like, I'm sad and I don't know why. I don't have a reason to feel sad. And just stepping away from that analytical framework and mm-hmm. getting into the more intuitive experience. Yeah. And I will say that it's very hopeful for anyone who doesn't really think they have a strong intuition because often in these bigger life transformations, I have gotten to a point of so much struggle and dissonance that it's just obvious that something's going to have to change. So it's not like Mm -hmm. I am so clear or anything. Yeah. And it's very normal to be like, well, this is my life. I'm making it work in the ways I can. And then all of us, we get to this point where like, this isn't it. And I don't know what is, but I'm going to have to change something because I don't accept this as my life. I have this full, vibrant, possible life and soul. And what I'm doing right now is not fulfilling it. That's true of just saying, it's not like you make a life decision because everything's going amazingly. You have to be pushed or generally we humans have to be hitting a wall and it has to be pretty obvious to make a change. Granted, I do think there are different thresholds for different people. When you said noticing the dissonance between the vibrancy that you could have and knowing there's more potential there, whereas some people, myself included, will get complacent and just say enough of my needs are being met. So that's okay. Realizing that there's so much more potential, not settling for a subpar existing. That's so important what you said. And I actually think it's the crux for most people. A lot of people have not consistently experienced this incredible vibrancy of life to no one's fault. Society doesn't always nurture that. And I feel that I have had the luck, the fortune of experiencing certain things about life, especially when I was like 11 in middle school and childhood in general, but I, I could feel the soul of the world. So I knew that was there. But if you don't know it's there, you might be like, oh, okay, my life is not a catastrophe. So we're going to go with that. That's good. And a lot of parts of the world and a lot of people are in crisis far more than we would wish. So you don't always get to have the luxury of focusing on this vibrancy of the soul. But if we can, it's really important because we will then be guided into the path that's going to be most supportive of others in this life. So age 11, did something powerful happen? Oh my gosh. It was just such a powerful time. And I suspect that there was something hormonal going on, Mm -hmm. like shifting in the mind, the brain, something's changing, but I would be on the school bus listening to Lorena McKenna and alone, just headphones on, ignoring everyone. And I would just be staring at the, the colors of the leaves and they'd be really, really gold. And then a couple weeks later, they'd be the deepest red and I would be in awe. So I had all of this awe and wonder or I'd be at lunch and I'd have found myself alone looking up at the clouds parting and the whole world was one. These things were happening to me at that age. I felt very spiritually connected and I had almost zero context for it. I just knew I really liked it. And that also built on these experiences earlier in life. I remember being in my dad's backpack and hiking and just looking around at the world and seeing the world glimmering. I had a lot of safety and my needs met as a child, which I wish was just completely standard so that people could have these experiences because we all can. The awe that you were able to tap into 
And being alone and being comfortable in that at age 11 is so profound because my memories at age 11 are just who's inviting me to the sleepover? Am I cool? You know, it's not like, look oh, at the beauty. That <laughs> yeah, that's true. Okay. So you were normal, but you were also just tapping into something larger than the mundane. Yeah, I was. And I wasn't, I wasn't sure if everyone else was too or not, but nobody really was talking about it. Yeah. And so much of the standardization of our culture, school and all of the extracurriculars where we grew up and things like that, almost try to stamp out the awe and wonder, not intentionally like, oh, don't maintain your wonder and zest for life. But it's more, oh, get on this conveyor belt and just go and don't question things. Yeah, I think there's great intentions and there's really great programs and enrichment is good. But sometimes there is a lack of imagination, a lack of creativity things become a little bit boring, a little bit just routine. And if the adults are not tapping into this energy, this cosmic energy, they could actually deliver something really creative and cool. And it would still not come off the same way. It wouldn't have that dimension. Mm -hmm. Do you feel as a kid, you worked hard to maintain this amount of awe while you made your way through the traditional structures of society? Do you feel you kept them in tandem with one another or do you feel it ebbed and flowed of when you touched into that intuition and magic? In childhood and early, early adolescence and adolescence and whatnot, it just happened. And I was not self-aware conscious enough to be trying to really cultivate anything at all. Okay. But I would know, well, if I take my camera out into the hills, I'm probably going to have this magical experience. So I'd have about that much. It's more now I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to have a lot more in place. These things don't happen automatically like they used to. I need more practice and ritual to mm -hmm. keep my cosmic connection. Wow. That's great to hear that it was just something that wasn't super intentional, but it didn't seem like you had peaks and valleys. It was just there in some capacity. For me, I feel I have that zest sometimes. And then I will go into default robot mode where I'm just like <laughs> focusing on what yes. I feel I should be doing. And so to have that steady trusting and not trying to over-engineer it and tap into it, yes. just knowing. Yes. I almost feel it as a state or a place to visit, not mm. to occupy at all times, because we have a practical life to live too. Right. And if I'm just gazing upon the leaves <laughs> because they're so gorgeous, you know, I might, I might miss my stop. So that to visit it at all with any consistency is incredible. You went to Santa Cruz, which is a very nature heavy place. That's part of the experience. It's in the trees. Mm -hmm. It's gorgeous. There's definitely some magical energy. It was a continuation. Mm -hmm. Nature is so supportive of it in high school. But I took a trip to UCSC to See, and I've had this thought, if I am here, no matter what I'm going through in my life, I will be okay because wow. of this contact with nature and this beauty. And actually, I think that was true. Yeah, because I remember before Santa Cruz was on your radar, you were fully committed to the idea of going to Davis. The <laughs> fact that you were on campus and could recognize that is so deep, recognizing the power of nature. Okay. That's amazing. Decision making at that age is usually not that great anyway. I am grateful that I had that connection with the land that I mm -hmm. stood there and looked out. And maybe this is just another one of those moments in life where the soul was speaking and it was saying, here, this mm -hmm. place, just like it did with Bishop. Mm -hmm. And if we're listening, we don't get distracted because, yeah, I was planning to go to Davis. I got in. That was huge. Everyone in my family was into this idea. Uh, they considered it a better school. And there is no doubt in my mind that I made the right choice. Absolutely. Your identity is so much more than where you went to school. But what Santa Cruz represents to me is very emblematic of what you are at the same time. The ocean and the magic. The strongest memories are the fog rolling in over the ocean or just looking up at the redwoods. I, I needed that. My soul needed that. And I'm really happy I got to spend seven years there. Yeah, one of my happiest memories, it's always walking in nature, no matter where I was living. And when you mm -hmm. don't have that, it mm -hmm. is directly correlated to your mental health, at least in my experience. It, and it so is 100%. Making it a part of your daily life is obviously something that not everyone can do, but having that reverence for it and 
listening. We get into privilege again here. It's if sure. you're born and raised in a city and you need to be near your family as you grow up to care for your family, be present with them. You can't just be, oh, everyone should just move to a really natural setting. I mean, Santa totally. in particular is so expensive. So acknowledging that and also acknowledging that it would be, it would be something to imagine a world where somehow everyone has access if they want it to nature mm-hmm. one way or another. Even parks when I lived in San Francisco and I'd walk around, obviously San Francisco is right on the coast. And so it's has natural beauty, but even you can get it in Central Park. Then for those who do have the means who are noticing something mental health, something about the city isn't quite right. Encouraging that more and more go. If you can Mm -hmm. go to the place your soul needs you to be. Some people thrive in a city. I don't understand that because I'm way too introverted and sensitive for that. But for those who can, I mean, it's essential. And if the soul is calling you there. Not to make it binary city life versus nature life, but in city life, you just are, in my experience, perpetually overriding your natural desires. You're just okay. You get used to the overstimulation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you haven't had a chance to pull back. This is a silly example, but I downloaded Instagram just to see what it was like the other day. Oh, and yeah. I haven't been on it in a long time. And I was like, this is so overstimulating. Yes. I got to get yes. off here. Yes. That's just once you're inundated in that, the city yes. life, you're just, that's my baseline. And you exactly. don't really even know how to go back to nature and just calm because it's so out of your wheelhouse. Yeah, well, exactly. You worded it really well. And we're basically tuned to this frequency that we weren't truly built for. So society is putting us at this pace. I don't mean to demonize society, but people understand, but it's the collective information and things that we make available, the attention span that it fosters. We come to think that this certain level of anxiety is normal or just tension in the body. And that's Mm -hmm. again, equity really. It's a birthright to know what your body and mind can feel. What I felt in childhood and what I feel sometimes any of us who is lucky to feel that cosmic connection, everyone can have that. That is not special people. It just takes certain calibration to, to what's natural for us. Yeah. It just feels unnatural when it hasn't been part of your life. And so it feels mm-hmm. out of reach. Yeah. And it can make people feel very bored. Mm-hmm. It's this restlessness, this agitation. If you go from a state of overstimulation to a peaceful meadow, that's why I like hiking. Mm-hmm. Because I live a stimulated life, even in a rural town, and it takes some time of starting the hike. You're not just going to a place, you are going to a state in your nervous yeah. system. And it takes time to decompress and readjust to the natural world. Yeah. I want to go back to the pressures that maybe your parents put on you. Something mm-hmm. I want to emulate that you do is not caring what other people think, mm-hmm. societal familial expectations. How do you balance Mm -hmm. that with your intuition? Yeah, I always know. And that can be very difficult when you know that and you're placing that against what you're receiving from parents, because regardless of the nature of the relationship, we are deeply affected by their opinions and their expectations. And so it seems like my dad doesn't care. He didn't insert his opinion very much about anything I do. He'll just be more laying out You need to make this much money to basically live. Just making sure the (laughs) basics are there. And it was more my mom that wanted a lot of stability and security for me. And in her mind, that would come from a more conventional path. She felt that Davis was a better school. And then later on, she hoped that I would take on some conventional career. And I even tried to. I tried to be a high school teacher for a year. And what security it gave me financially was canceled out by how much it deteriorated my my physical and mental health. And it was undeniable. Me balancing my intuition versus the pressures, I've done both. I've tried doing it the way people would like me to, and it just failed. We got data, we got evidence, it did not work. Unequivocal. I will not let my body and nervous system and mind come to that breaking point for a career. Again, privilege because... If I didn't have another way to make money, I would have to stay in that job. I had kids. Maybe I'd have to stay in that job plus the other independent work I do. So acknowledging that, but also not just giving up. If you are in one of those situations, you've got your nine to five that pays you. It's working, but you are miserable. The world cannot afford for you to be miserable and neither can you. 
we have to get really creative. That's where creativity comes in and the imagination needs to be activated. Be like, okay, I don't know how I'm going to change this, but I am going to one way or another. I'm going to remain open to that because if we're not open to it, no ideas will come. Nothing comes our way. No one really just gets lucky. So we have to really be aware of dissonance and not fully accept it unless we want to stay exactly as we are and where we are. Absolutely. Yeah. You just nailed it. And also the point about we can't afford to have everyone just be checked out. We're seeing that play out Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the way we live. It's just if no one's happy and satisfied and not to say you always have to be happy. I don't think happiness is the goal. It's just content Mm -hmm. in your life and your choices. And if there's this agitation constantly, it trickles down. You said in the beginning, if you don't have adults cultivating creativity or valuing that, then it just gets deprioritized. They deprive the youth. And actually, we think in society, if we think about societal standards, we have a responsibility to have a job and to work hard. And these are our patriarchal values. And patriarchy is good and fine when it's balanced with matriarchal values. Hmm. And that when we over-prioritize our responsibility to work without really questioning, what is the nature of this work? Is this work helping all beings live their lives naturally and well? Is this work keeping us more peaceful as humans? We have a responsibility to one another and to our soul to find out what our actual calling is, because everyone has this genius inside of us and this creative potential and ways that we can serve the world. And that message isn't out there enough. I listen to Michael Mead, Living Myth podcast a lot because this is something he articulates really well. And it it makes you really believe it because a lot of people might not believe they have anything special inside whatsoever that might not have ever been shown to them by society and their culture growing up. But I think the sense of responsibility most people have is false. A lot of jobs make the world a place with more suffering. Mm, I couldn't help but balk at the patriarchy is good. Patriarchy is neutral. When balanced with matriarchal. Patriarchy has been painted as this horrible thing, but it's true. It is neutral when balanced and when unchecked, just like anything. That's how cancer grows. It's because something is unchecked and getting out of control. The point that you made about the collective and the community, I don't want to paint it as binary as matriarchal is good, patriarchal is bad. I appreciate that reframe. Yeah. But but really thinking what good is this job doing? Our society is so individualistic and get as much money as possible. Capitalism gets folded into patriarchy and then I put that whole thing in the trash. But I do think capitalism serves a purpose in trade and industry and making improvements. I see it, but specifically when I'm considering entering motherhood, I get really scared of trying to couple the practical things that we need. Like you were saying, you have to not just stare at the trees all day. So that's where the scarcity mindset comes in and it's just make as much money as possible at all costs because that's why I'm here to provide for this kid. But really that's not the best for the kid if you're just sacrificing and focusing on money at all costs. And again, you noted privilege. We have our basic needs met. To that last point, unfortunately, it takes a good amount of time and spaciousness to realize anything significant or meaningful about your soul and your path. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are trapped in these cycles because you cannot stop. It's an unfortunate metaphor, but the hamster wheel. You have to keep going. If you stop, there's not food on the table or the job ends, you, you get fired. And it's actually, again, an ethical issue. Spaciousness, time to reflect, time to mm-hmm. not feel pressure financially is essential for all humans. And this is a great way to lock us in to mm-hmm. scarcity and fear. And this leads to all these other things. Certain mindsets can be cultivated that are very convenient for broader agendas that a country mm-hmm. might have. You have so little spaciousness and ability to reflect and create. And creativity needs a lot of room and time and space. And if we have a lot of that, then we can we could actually figure out how we could make money possibly 
but also it takes time to grow, grow the things that can sustain us. And then I also wanted to say about the matriarchy and patriarchy. I do wish that there was more nuance in conversations about it. It is completely unproductive for us to be like smash the patriarchy because it just totally overlooks the fact that patriarchal values and matriarchal values beautifully balance each other. For example, you noted that if you have unchecked patriarchy, you end up with this individualistic mindset and all about me. Fend for yourself. That's very American. Mm -hmm. Bootstraps, baby. The matriarchal values are much more collective oriented and collaborative and community based. But I actually think schools are a good example of where matriarchy goes unchecked because what happens in matriarchy is that the value of the collective is at the expense of the individual wellness. Mm. Teachers and mothers, this is also for mothers, actually expected to overgive because it's for them, it's for this community and they're feeding off of our natural desire to be of help and be of support while not even letting us have the patriarchal value of self-care and self-development. So we're getting the worst of both worlds. Mm -hmm. I don't want to generalize too much because there's lots of systems that are balancing these well. There's lots of school systems that are balancing these very well and none of it's intentional. It just naturally has arisen in the structures that we have in society Mm -hmm. where you have to go to school five days a week. Teachers have to be there five days a week. Although this is again, where creativity comes in. School is so outdated the way it's run. I I sub and I'm like, you guys are in jail. You have to be in these four walls all day and not to disparage it. Everyone in education is working really, really hard. They're actually working too hard, which we should not admire. We should criticize Mm -hmm. it. So I quit, but there's a lot of room Mm-hmm. for creativity. And I was not seeing it because everyone's in the hamster wheel in education. Mm-hmm. I was always anti-homeschool growing up being a public school kid wow. because I thought it was critical to socialization. I don't think that's inaccurate. I do think it's good to socialize. But like mm-hmm. you said, we're really just all being pushed along the same exact curriculum and there's no chance to really say, oh, you're good at this. Let's dive in yeah. here and let's take oh. more time No one ever talked about the soul. I watched the Apple TV documentary on Selena Gomez. She (laughs) talked about how it was about her mental health, which I thought Uh was interesting that she provided a glimpse into that. But she said, I want a bill where we have therapy and mental health skills in school because you talk about your feelings on a generic level as a kid. Point at the smiley face. Are you happy or sad? And that's pretty much the extent of emotional intelligence training we get. And so coupled with soul and intuition is just a basic literacy in these things beyond the standardized testing realm. It's just, how do we raise good humans if we're not instilling values young? And this is part of what made me crazy when I was teaching. I'd be like, all the work I'm working so hard to do, I feel is not only potentially meaningless, potentially detrimental. Right, right. And I, I felt it in, in student relationships with me, in my energy, in, in my light. You're such a vibrant person. And this structure smothered that. It was mm-hmm. not conducive to your special skills. And the whole reason you felt called to that work was to share your skills. I just can't believe that we have not reworked education. I, I can believe it because it's like not a priority. It's not profitable. Yeah. It's just, let's just keep this daycare system going and keep the people working. You said it is jail in a way. It's really mm-hmm. just, let's keep them here. Let's muzzle their desires. And I do think you have to learn some social skills of, or else we'd all be wild animals who don't listen to one another. Here's the thing. They're not. Where is the curriculum in relationships? Right. What is the difference between my relationship with my friend and my relationship with my parent? What are the dynamics? How can I understand yeah. this? How, what does it feel to have anger in my body? Oh, mm-hmm. I don't just act it out. There's another option. There is, this is again, imagination is lacking. We can do anything we want with the mind. We can guide a student through any possible scenario with any amount of animal allies, whatever you want to, you want to decorate it with if it's no kids. Okay. Now there's a giraffe and he's there to help you. Mm -hmm. There's anything you want that could make it exciting and interesting. And that's where I just go crazy. And I could never articulate it Mm -hmm. in the moment. I would just feel something so wrong and not be able to put words on it. That gave me nervous system problems. 
Yeah. And the expectation is that the teacher implicitly does all of this standardized stuff, but also teach them feelings and emotional regulation. That's definitely something they have to balance. Teachers aren't trained in it. The people who are trained in this are are basically Buddhists. No one's trained in this. True emotional intelligence. Yeah. Self-awareness sensitivity is something that is cultivated over years and years and is nuanced. And it's not just a handout for the teacher to learn about your feelings. And that's what education tries to do. Mm. It tries to say we addressed it by making a worksheet or a handout or a meeting or even a a day together as teachers. I went to an emotional intelligence workshop. I could not have thought of something more generic and tedious to go to. They were saying, don't get furious, get curious. There is zero insight here. This absolutely changes nobody and nothing. And I just kept encountering that in education. It's the box checking. Very frustrating. And not to negate the genuine work and teachers pour a lot into their relationships with students and that's Mm -hmm. all legitimate and they're working so hard. I just don't think we're working in very effective ways a lot of the time. You were able to really forge this path for yourself despite a lot of forces saying that's not prioritized. That's why I love talking to you because you're able to balance and acknowledge that, yeah, my parents had their own thoughts, but I felt in my body, whereas I would override my body. And so just, it's very inspiring for me to hear that you can keep your head down and stay on your own path when you recognize that there are outside sources. And so it's related to your whole story about opening your aerial yoga silks studio. Mm -hmm. What is the proper terminology? Because I teach multiple apparatuses, you could just consider it an aerial arts studio. That's creativity embodied. You can't even put it to one box. It contains multitudes and that's emblematic of your spirit. I touch back on it when I'm thinking about my own stuff. Sarah is living in alignment and Mm -hmm. I want to be closer to that. And so it's not what would Sarah do? Everyone has their own path, but the mindset is something you could tap into. And you touched on something really important, which is this not relying on other people's ideas for us and explanations for our lives, but trusting something that we know inside. And if you have no reason to trust yourself in life, you haven't done a lot of things that make sense to you. You haven't followed your path or people have actively told you that you don't know something or listen to that person. And this is the way to do it. People will question these quiet inner voices, the small voice. And they'll say, there's nothing that's actually going to endanger me to try to go on my own path. And so they don't have confidence. And for me, my parents raised me to have a lot of confidence for better or for worse. For some, I had a lot of opportunities to explore. I was given a lot of creative opportunities as a kid. And so I got a lot of chances to, to see, I know stuff or I can lead myself and it can go well. And just enough of those experiences, but sometimes it's hard. And that's why I taught high school for a year. I was like, I give up. I can't make life work the way I want it to. And I had to find out for sure that a conventional path wasn't for me. I had to truly try it, even though I did actually already know. Right. You have to really get it hammered in. But then I was able to prove it to my mom because then at the end of the school year, I called her and I said, mom, I have to quit. Mm -hmm. I was having panic attacks and I knew it was no way to live. And I just had enough information and she accepted it. And I think it actually helped her except where I'm at now in my life, in my choices. But you had to have panic attacks for her to be like, oh, okay. (laughs) I know, right? I know. I also had the heart surgery risk. So that probably helped too, because my doctor was like, oh, well, you have this heart issue. You need heart surgery. So I told my mom and that just, it really ignited my mom's compassion. Mm -hmm. And that compassion is already there. Sometimes Mm -hmm. we we don't realize that life is fragile. We don't know what's going to happen next. And so that's why we actually need our kid to follow their soul and their heart. Right, right now and not later. Right. But yeah. What would you say for there's parents who will never come to accept a creative or unconventional path? What can, what do we need to do? We cannot change the way things are. We cannot control another person's perception of us. So how do we navigate that? What? We cannot control another person's perception of us. That's been my <laughs> life goal. I, I've tried, maybe. No, I, <laughs> I've never been successful, but I've spent my whole life juggling things to try. Look mm-hmm. at me. 
Well, here's um, that's the thing. You are the truth of who you are. It's already there. You can make yourself look a different way. You can make your life look the way someone wants it to look. It does not change reality. It just perpetuates illusion. The seed is still in there. The longing of the soul is still in there. And the suffering is going to stay until it's liberated. Yeah. You brought up the still small voice, which is the title of my whole essence, but I don't (laughs) act in alignment with it because I'm interviewing people like, tell me how to do it. You know, Um, (laughs) that's part of your your process. True. I appreciate that. Yeah. Nothing happens overnight. And a lot of the time we have to feel things out. And that's why I tried to run my own business for several years. And then was like, and now I teach high school for years. So it's not linear. Mm-hmm. And ex- as long as you're exploring, like you are, what can I learn? How do I better understand what this voice is? How do I better come to trust it? You are a hundred percent on your path right now. Yeah. And I do, I try to balance that asking other people because I am screaming out into the void on my blog. I need a role model. How does one do this? How do you leave the corporate world? Which is valid. We do like to have people on a similar path, but Uh at the same time, I try to acknowledge it as one of my innate skills that has always been true has been my curiosity and wonder with other people. And so I don't have to weaponize my desire to talk to others as a negative. It's a balance too of knowing your own voice. And also you can still be curious in others. It's not binary. Way too few people are this inquisitive. And we've experienced multiple times you and I, a conversation can lead to profound realizations. And that means that by you asking questions and talking to people, you're helping us activate our soul and, and what we want and what we know and our wisdom. And what you said about wanting a role model, we absolutely need role models. We need specific ones and we need overarching ones. That's why I listen to Michael Mead. He does his own thing. He he interprets myths and whatnot. That's not what I'm doing, but what he's actually doing is helping people identify what's important to them and to live their life in this way that's much more of service. And mm. so, and I need to see that example because we're lacking examples in this culture of, of these things. And actually I will point out that there is a surplus of examples that are actually quite superficial. Influencers having all kinds of supposed wisdom and a lot of it's very manipulative. It's sales and selling something is not inherently manipulative, but there is a lot out there that is predatory or just ignorant. People mm-hmm. think they have some knowledge or insight and it's it's rampant. So finding the true guides and that guide of what you're doing because the people you're reaching out to, you may admire, but might be quite ordinary. I'm just a girl who owns an aerial arts business. I'm not a guru. I'm not a monk, but there is still wisdom here. And then we're lucky if we can get a a real, a true guide and elder in our life of some kind to also be an example to us. There just are not enough examples. Yeah. What you said also touches on what I'm so interested in is people who are ordinary, who are doing something so admirable to me. And it's not Mm -hmm. the traditional goal of be as famous as possible. You're not trying to be an influencer. That's not your goal. And that just living contentedly and authentically is the goal. But we've gotten so sidetracked by shiny things. I want to say because I love shiny things. And (laughs) I want to expand on what you're saying so much. Because when I hear content and authentic, it makes me want to die of boredom, not because you're boring. But because those words are overused so heavily, mm, okay, and so pe- yeah. people might come to this idea, oh, I should be at peace. And actually, yeah. we should be on a grand adventure. <laughs> but that doesn't require us to be famous at all. A grand adventure? I went on a grand adventure with this dragon right. within me yesterday that was a symbol of anger. And we went somewhere together and had a conversation. This is all possible in the imagination. So I think that when we're listening to the whispers of the soul, we, we follow that calling. It should feel very exciting. It isn't always peaceful <laughs> or yes. as much as content. That's such a good thing to that you brought up because that's something that I get turned off by too. Content, yeah. authentic, all these really placid sounding words, which is unfortunate because they're not placid, yeah, they're but they're important words. Unfortunately, right. you're right. Yeah. 
but it's so much more realistic to say it's not smooth sailing all the time. You're not a monk. You're not enlightened. <laughs> yeah. The grand adventure piece is really important. When I hear that though, sometimes I keep looking in the mirror going, this is the part of the hero's journey where you, you do it. This is where you do it. Oh Kendall. my God. What do you need to do? It's more of just actually listening to the still small voice and acting on it and just being like, you're going to follow this instead okay. of just feeling trapped. So yeah. it's too nebulous, well, but it, it keeps me a little yeah. bit stifled because I'm scared, trying too hard to be like, this better be a good story. And so I go into paralysis. The fear, and this brings me to my singing, the fear is an incredible sign. I think you're so lucky if you feel fear because something is at stake. You're going to leave some stuff behind. Things are going to transform. It's going to be huge. And that is completely daunting. And it might have to happen gradually. Right. Yes. Taking this fear and turning it into a tool and being like, that just means you have something to lose and that this is going to be a powerful thing if you really lean yeah. into it. The fear is pointing to the path here, go here, come here, but it's fear. So you're like, wait, what? Fear is a, an incredible ally, but this, again, in education systems, they don't teach you that. I had to find out through a lot of meditation journeys and guidance from others. I even personify fear as a wolf in me and I can watch what it's doing, but it's really, really worried about me. It's trying to protect you. It'll pace back and forth really quickly. Yeah. And then I have to figure out what does it take to help this fear see that we're not in danger. Mm. And then it just turns into this ally of being with me. It's still, it's always going to watch out. Fear is part of being human. It's making sure and change or doing something unconventional comes with risks. Leaving the known is one of the hardest things. How do you make sense of this rise and tide of emotion? Where did you get that? I don't remember quite how the wolf arose, but I have always felt super, super inspired by animals. Ever since I was little, I'd basically look look at books of animals in the world and be like, oh my God, this is here. And just be in complete awe. So I've always felt that connection. It really came about out of necessity. I do have a distinctive memory from trying to go on stage and sing open mics and having total terror, panic. And I would just do whatever I wanted to do, whatever I could. So that's where my imagination stepped up. I need to look at it when fear is abstract. Yeah, totally. You can't work with it. No. Ideas don't have a lot of traction. So we have these gifts of symbolism and personification. These are not just tools in literature and poetry. These are gifts for the soul. It ties into your skill or one of your many gifts of singing and the way that you're able to take the abstract, a bunch of different things and pulling them together and making meaning. And we've talked about mm. how powerful that can be and you're doing it for yourself. And then you're also doing it in service of your storytelling, your gifts of music. And it's such a consistent pulse in your life. And you just tap into that energy and it's malleable and you put it into different parts of your life. That's true. I use symbolism and, and personification and metaphor. I didn't really realize that's helpful to other people. Maybe not consciously, but that's awesome. I mean, isn't that why you listen to music? Because you want to, it might not be through direct symbolism, but all of this is sharing of stories and connection and, and it's to trigger yeah. something in your own life. And so if you can take that, mold it, shape it, yeah. share it. And this can be a helpful point for people because what I'm, what's clicking in for me is that I've always loved words. I have felt their power, their potential possibility, flexibility, poetry, writing, and symbolism. And I've been always so captivated. When we have that relationship with anything, it can be math. It can be plants that you're just weirdly obsessed or drawn to something. That's a really important clue for what your path is. Whatever you gravitate to and a world opens when I engage with this, that's what we're looking for. What you said about a book of animals and just looking and being <laughs> like, I can't believe this exists. And, <laughs> and I feel like everybody should have that response. I don't care what you call well, it, but if you look at a book of all the animals in the world, you're like, God definitely exists. Or you look at flowers. When I see a beautiful flower, I'm like, someone was having fun. If we were in our right mind, we would see the magic in the world every day. It 
it's incredible how good we've become at not seeing it actually. Right. You're right. Yeah. You should open a book and be like, holy shit. There's that many different types of animals. This one has white and black stripes. This other one has a rod coming off of its head. This other one's neck is seven feet long. It's so mm-hmm. creative and it brings up wonder. It's a clear crisis if we're not feeling that. Naturally, we do. You see kids, they, they look through the books and they look at the figurines and they're very interested, but especially more with adulthood, we unlearn that. It's not even that it's learned, it's intrinsic. It's indigenous to us mm-hmm. to have wonder for this beautiful, gorgeous world. We live in a freaking universe. We should all be totally convinced of the divine nature of life. Preach, Sarah. Yeah. And it's sad because part of me wants to have a kid so I can relearn that and see the world Um, fresh from their eyes. And I definitely don't think you have to have a kid to do that. That's a good vehicle for sure. But it's something I wish everyone could just be like, okay, we're going to put on our kid glasses and just reimagine our old patterns. If it were only that simple, but there's a lot of stuff that has to be de-layered first. Yes. It involves the cycle of financial stress. Like if that's all Mm -hmm. you can think about, you're you're not open, you're not receptive. You don't have space. It's not relevant. The beauty of the flower. I mean, ironically, it is actually possibly the most important thing because if you can connect to that, it can help move some things inside and maybe figure out a different situation and not perpetuate what is. It's not straightforward. And again, there's not a ton of guidance. And just this morning, I was having a lot more connections and downloads about how I can help with this and with my songwriting and my singing and not just have a performance where people like it and they maybe feel connected during my performance, but I've started developing these meditation wheels where I'll make guided meditations and lead people through different processes. And also even just reading out loud fairy tales and making this free. So if parents don't have time to be reading to their kids and they don't want to plunk their kid in front of a TV, we start to allow this magic to be more available because I have this magic and they know about it and I want everyone to have it. That makes my heart so happy. That is our true nature. I feel the most sane, the most excited and the most natural is when these are the things I'm thinking about and working on. It's not when I'm doing the work I have to do to get this money. It's yeah. Distinctly different feeling. And I want everyone to know that feeling too. That's when the soul is like, we're here, we're together. We get to collaborate now and we have all these possibilities together. That's the exciting stuff. Yes. So tell me, what is a meditation wheel? There's different kinds of meditation wheels, but what I created was a graphic that you can print out and there's a circle and each section of the circle has guidance. So it's broken into four pieces and you move through these four processes. So for example, one is body, earth, collective, cosmos, and it involves tuning yourself and becoming present and then activating the imagination and creativity to feel what's what's possible. Imagining all animal and plant beings able to carry out their lives as is natural for them. And then connecting with self, body, earth collective being humanity and then cosmos to kind of get all of those perspectives. So mm. that's something I'm excited and working on at the moment. So when you lead people through it, they have a physical copy. Yeah. So the way of it currently, there's a lot of potential for evolution. It would be something they could print out. I have one that I already made and printed out that I, I physically rotate it as I meditate. And then there would be a recording to guide through that they could use or not. After a while, they could be like, I know how to tune myself and the questions are already on the wheel. I know there's more. Every song I write is a journey. I'm not like, what's a cool tune? What's a cool rhythm? It's a full on journey every song I write. So this is the part of my life where I feel I get to fully express all creativity and ideas and I'm not gonna hold myself back. So this will be an offering of mine that people will meet me at a show and then I'll say, and I also have these resources available. And that's also where I want to have recordings of fairy tales for anyone to listen to and stories that I make up. I love the whole mentality of I'm not going to be limited. This is evolving. (laughs) These are my offerings. You don't put yourself in a box. And that is just so refreshing. I definitely think there's a need meditation wheel. I want to listen to you guiding me through it. And you said the whole point is to 
tap into your inner guidance. This is to help you get started and then you're going to do it. I am so lucky all the spaciousness and opportunity I've had to have the access to wonder, to magic, the insistence I've had. I want to say, and also in reference to your hearing this voice come up over and over, and it is a matter of devotion. You don't know how, that's okay, but you're going to revisit it ideally every day because anything meaningful takes a really long time to form. My songs often take over a year. It's not like I work on the song every day. I won't work on it for months, but then when I come back to it, it's obvious what needs to change. Some songs move along much faster than others, but we should expect to be in really long processes as humans. But because of this nature of our culture of being so short attention span, that's not how we're tuned. And so it feels laborious or long, but then if there's something we want, it's devotion. That is the number one thing. That's such a beautiful way of putting it. I love that word. And it has so much ownership and agency, devotion to the self-practice that you're going to continue. It alludes to something deeper, something Mm -hmm. more important. It's not the same as discipline. If, Mm -hmm. If I'm devoted, it actually carries a completely different energy and I'm approaching it differently. I actually wouldn't be thinking of chores in the same way at all. I would be thinking of them as spiritual practice. So it completely alters how we live. Especially when you pitted it against discipline. Cause I'm like, must do yeah. all these things. Oh, guess what that value came from? Patriarchy. And devotion, is that matriarchy? Maybe it's more of a meta value or a meta skill that applies to both. And you only get the healthy matriarchy and patriarchy if you have, if you're devoted to the highest form of each one and their balances to each other. Love that too, because the putting things in different boxes doesn't really serve yeah. you. You know, it's, like it's a temporary tool. They even Buddhists yeah. will even say that about meditation though. Eventually you throw it away because it is also a construct. Interesting. It's, it's helpful not to be all or nothing, and but to acknowledge I have reified this. That I have made real. I also just wanted to touch on mm-hmm. reading fairy tales out loud to children. I loved being read aloud to you as a child. And I see so many parents plopping their kids in front of an iPad. I like, would do it. I get it. Yeah. I understand the balancing of priorities, but it's overstimulating too. It's opening the Instagram app of constantly having an iPad in front of you is too much. And listening yeah. to a book read out loud to you is great because then you make up the story, the visuals to go along yeah, with that. That's right on with imagination. There's mm-hmm. nothing that you really need to imagine when you're watching. And exactly, not, you're not disparaging and I'm not disparaging visual media. Like right. TV shows, they have stories, narratives that are also really full of wonder. Mm-hmm. But you're right. There's a participation when there's not a visual. And that's really yeah. important. When you just take away one layer, and I'm not saying I don't love a beautiful visual thing, and that helps even just watching The Land Before Time, that helped me picture dinosaurs. It it does help. It can open, it does open the imagination. So that's So I'm not saying, again, one is wrong and one is right, but when you can scale back in some ways so that you can allow for more of your own. And yeah, by diversifying, you are helping the brain grow in different ways. Mm -hmm. And- and also, I think this applies to adults as well. <laughs> oh, 100%. It, everything we're saying about <laughs> hypothetical children is definitely things I need to practice yeah. in my life today. Yeah. I wonder if any adults will listen to my fairy tales. It's funny because we're still drawn to storytelling and imagination. Yeah. We still love media and novels and things like that, but we've decided we're too intellectual yeah. for a fairy tale. We all know there's something really mystical inside fables and fairy tales. Mm-hmm. And it's almost primal. We know that these are old story structures as humans. That's how we can think in these story arcs. And by listening to a variety, there's something we learn or gain, but I haven't quite fully formed this yet, mm. how it helps us. But I can feel it when it's happening. Yeah. And that's the magic of not being able to articulate it, but feeling mm. it. It means you're onto something. Right. How you started the conversation or how when I asked about Bishop, there was something going on. You couldn't articulate it, but feel it. And you return to that organically. That's actually what I would like people to gather from this call is you just don't need to understand fully, Mm -hmm. but trust what you feel because you know something. Mm -hmm. everyone does deep down and 
You might not understand what to do next, but it's a matter of continuing to be available to that voice and open to responding. And if we were to just ask ourselves in the middle of the day, if we're doing something, is this responding to that voice? Is this supportive of that voice? We know some stuff is neutral. Some stuff you just have to do and it's just whatever. But if you're in a job or something and you're going to get a no, Mm -hmm. we don't want to hear it. We usually don't want to hear it because we're like, I'm not ready to quit. This is too scary. I have a lyric that goes, you cannot wait forever. You don't need to know how. Trust the heart that skips a beat. Yes, she is ready now. Oh, it's such a call to action, which is great. The call of you can easily check in with yourself and ask Mm -hmm. yourself, is this serving that greater purpose? Mm -hmm. And you said, we know the answer. It's not hard. Mm -hmm. I don't need a mentor to filter the answer through to me, or I don't need to spell it out to someone else to know. So. Mm We just need to know to ask. And also anyone who talks to you is or listens to these podcasts is so lucky. This whole conversation unfolding is only possible because of these amazing questions you're asking. And you have brought so much insight to my awareness. It's only really activated when we're in conversation or only really gets articulated well when communicating. So that's definitely part of your call of the soul is your ability to bring this out of people. Because again, there's all these people who have all kinds of wisdom. It's just not, it's latent and Mm -hmm. nobody's asking them. Nobody's raising the conversation that elicits these things. And so what you're doing, it's really important. It's for you and me and anyone who's listening or are lucky enough to also get to talk to you. It's really sweet to hear someone say that. Thank you. When you create something where, where kind of a soul conversation is activated, you immediately make the world more hopeful. That's how I feel about it. These conversations don't happen in the wild very often. Small talk doesn't get this far most of the time. And a lot of people have never experienced the type of conversation with someone where their their wisdom gets elicited, not solicited. Very different. I identify as a writer. That's how I process. But I sometimes worry that I'm not a writer because... I hear you and I'm like, oh, she's a real writer. I'm going to take a blowtorch to that belief you have. I get a little scared because I look at people who are like, I love words. I love that you can be super intentional with each word in a sentence, whereas I don't feel like I have that. I would like to take that opportunity of what you've just said to, to comment. Technique is really important and quality is really important when we're creating something. But I'm also very, very wary of other people's beliefs in style and purpose and ways of doing things because there is something special about the way you write that is unlike how anyone else writes. And that's true for everyone. Same with everyone's voice is completely unique. Absolutely no other voice sounds like it. And when we try to do it in maybe a supposed way or make sure we're doing it in the right way, I bet we could find a difference between devotion to the craft and anxiety about our meeting an expectation of the craft. Yeah, you nailed it. You nailed my insecurity too, because it's so true. It's just trying to fit into a box and the whole standardization and what is good deemed by others. And then it just becomes so other. And it was a really beautiful reminder because I do feel that way that everyone has an absolute unique voice and gifts and however it manifests. And and that's why I love interviewing because everyone is so innately interesting. You just have to ask the right questions. That's my big belief. And so- to be able to take that idea and apply it to my writing and be less anxious about the quality or if it's right, if it's beautiful, really frees things for me. So thank you. Yeah. It's been a really big part of my journey with voice songwriting. Uh, When I started to uncover that my songs are entire journeys that I go through, it made my preoccupation with the timbre of my voice and all my technical abilities. It just made it seem a lot less significant At the same time, I take lessons to improve any perfectionism or insecurity. It's there, but it's not leading the way. It's not stopping you. You're not turning it into a barrier and fear. You're acknowledging that it exists, but you're not losing yourself to it. And then you're, you're complimenting that with, I also want to take lessons. And so it feels very healthy where you're able to balance different things instead of getting... Yeah. too lost in one side. 
Yeah. And we're hundred percent conditioned to do things right. And I have lots of fear of doing the wrong thing or saying right. the wrong thing. I do have that programming too. But actually that's really different than curiosity. I started taking voice lessons mainly because I was like, how does voice work? How can I make it sound different? And that's a much better place to come from. It doesn't damage yourself. If someone's like, I've got to get my voice perfect. I have to be good. I get got to get signed. Mm -hmm. That energy, it's just not interesting energy. It's not very enjoyable. That's what's coming through when you sing. The soul is actually feeling a little, little bit repressed or ignored, mm -hmm. I think. So with it, whatever the creative craft is, if we're trying to make it good, that's different from being devoted to understanding it. Keep that curiosity and cultivate that devotion that is critical and easily lost. I am so grateful for this reminder. I just love talking with you. We go so many different places. It's deep stuff that we're mining here. And right. like you said, it doesn't just happen all the time. And so it is special and I'm so appreciative Likewise. of you. Yeah. The feeling is mutual. Thanks, Sarah. Thank okay. you, Kendall. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sarah Kaiser. Her music can be found on Spotify, so please check her out. It's Nectar Moth, N-E-C-T-A-R, new word, M-O-T-H. Thank you so much for listening.